Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, verses through 29. Let's pray. Father God, tonight, Holy Spirit, I, I pray this has to be you. Lord, open our ears to hear, open my mouth to speak, O oh God, that we would be pleasing, acceptable in your sight. God, I know that you want to do something great in this church, in this people, in this day that we live. God, we need your Holy Spirit so very much. And God, sometimes it seems like we are incapable of finding Him or being filled with Him, but Lord, we desperately need Him in this day that we live. And God, we're praying for a spiritual breakthrough in our house, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. I want to talk to you briefly about the Spirit and the strong man. Uh, How many people know about spiritual opposition? If you've ever felt spiritual opposition... Uh, you may hear about spiritual warfare from Ephesians 6, uh, but the spirit realm is just as real as the natural realm. And those of you in ministry or been around church for a while, uh, you can know what it is like to go into a place or a congregation or a room, and you feel something in your spirit. You feel that if this is, this is a connection with God, that these people are having connection with God, or I feel like I'm having connection with God, or you, you can feel something in opposition to you. I've been... Uh, to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and, and went to an orphanage one time. I, you, many of you know this, but we worked there with uh, a lot of people who are under the influence of voodoo and under the demonic. We prayed for demon-possessed people and, and all of that, you know, and you could feel the environment is different. If you are a born-again believer, you can sense things beyond the physical taste, touch, see, smell. And in the spiritual world, uh, this is true. There are Walls of opposition, we talk about not only just demonic possession, but spiritual oppression, which is an external force just kind of hammering on your head. Maybe you've, you've suffered a depression or anxiety or fear before, and it's just like, man, it's just always there. Every day you wake up, you don't know why it's there. There's, there's an opposition against you that doesn't want you to be free or walking free. Many of you, maybe you have... Uh, wayward children or relatives, and it don't matter how much you put Jesus and say it and you've raised them right or you talk to those people, it's just like they don't hear it. And the Bible says that Satan even can blind the minds of unbelieving hearts so they will not receive the truth. That there is a spiritual reason. It's not just that they're ignorant, okay? There is spiritual opposition. And with that spiritual opposition, the only solution is spiritual breakthrough. I'll tell you, even this morning, I told Pastor Christian and my wife, you know, today, I felt today, man, I struggled so very much. I don't know if you may have noticed, and I should apologize. I did a horrible job this morning because from the very beginning before I even got there, I felt like I was under spiritual attack in my mind. And even, I told Pastor Christian earlier, it was as if I was looking at the page and I could not make sense of it nor to communicate it to get it out effectively. I, I felt like there was a wall. And I knew, I, I even told a, a pastor friend of mine, man, I was under attack today. And I know that God or the devil does not want to see what God is going to do in our church, and we were talking about things about spiritual breakthrough and spirit-filled worship. Man, he is against those things. We've had, even in this year, at Sanctuary, even in my home, we've had demonic attacks. I, uh, earlier in the year, when we ventured out into our high school, we, we, uh, there was a moment, we in this group had a prayer service where we went around the walls and prayed, and that night I went home and 
and in my bed, I, I went to sleep and thought it was a good day, and I had a, a very uh, scary, demonic dream about an attack from the enemy, and I felt something shake me in my bed, and I woke up, began to speak in tongues, and got Beth up, and she began to pray, and posted to our leadership team, guys, uh, he's here. He wants to take out our church because there is another world unseen beyond this one. I'm not being all spooky or crazy or this is scripture. And we have a spiritual enemy. And Paul says in Ephesians, I don't want you to be unaware of these things. I want you to be spiritual. I think our, our class on Wednesday night even just talked about spiritual warfare. Well, he doesn't want you to be unaware of what is uh, happening in the world around us. There's a reason you see so many teenagers and young families falling away and breaking apart. You can, there's a reason there's so much hate in the world today and division and animosity because we have a spiritual enemy. Amen? I want to talk to you about the spirit and the strong man. Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, let me give you the background. Jesus had at this point appointed 12 uh, apostles or disciples for his mission. And in the passage before this, he had begun to teach them about asking, seeking, and knocking. And he says, you know, your father loves to give good gifts. He really loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. You ask, seek, knock, ask for these prayers to be done in my name. I'm going to do them. But know that if you ask for the Holy Spirit, man, he loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And he's told them this, and at the same time, his family sees him doing what he's doing, and they think, man, this kid, he, we raised him, we changed his diapers, and he was a carpenter's son. He's gone mad. He's crazy. His cousins and brothers, his half-brothers thought he was crazy. His mom didn't know. She knew. She hid in her heart. Something's special about this kid, and I know he's the Messiah, and I don't know how it's going to happen, but, man, even his family kind of, what, what you doing there? Hold on a second. Wait, don't get great. Man, he's, got, he's gone mad. And people begin to crowd around him and signs and wonders and miracles and exorcisms and healings. And the crowds were coming and it made the religious jealous. And the religious people were thinking, who is this guy? In fact, even the crowds were not quite certain of who he was and they were wondering, who is this man? And at that same time, these religious scribes and Pharisees were envious and began to start testing him. And many were whispering in the back corners that he had an unclean or an evil spirit. And it was by evil spirits he was doing all the things he was doing. But yet that didn't stop the crowds from coming. So look with me, Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. It says, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus. And he healed him, note that, he healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. And the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. So how then will his kingdom stand? If by Beelzebub I cast out demons... Whom do your sons, that is, there was exorcists in that day who came from the Pharisaical schools. He's saying, if I cast them out by the demons, who do you cast them out for? For this reason, they'll be your judges. But if I cast out demons 
by the Spirit, one translation says finger of God, or the power of God, by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Note that if the Spirit of God is moving and winning, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? First thing I want to talk to you about is the pitiful man. This guy they brought to him was a pitiful man. He was blind and mute. He could not see Jesus or see an image of God. He could not speak to Jesus or tell someone. When when people are going on the street, no doubt he was a beggar. Probably, let's say maybe he had a traumatic brain injury. Maybe he was born that way. Maybe it literally was that the demon had possessed him at some time in his life and caused him to go insane or caused him to do something to himself that would cause him not to have full faculty uh, of his senses. But in any case, you would know he would be a beggar. He would have no one to care for him likely. In that day, there's no Social Security, there's no Medicare, there's no insurance, there's no good health care. And they didn't know why people were that way. And often they would lower you to the lowest trash heap. You're nothing. You're worse than a slave. You're worse than a dog. You're, you're low on the totem pole of what anybody wants to help you with. Your, your life is in the pit. That's where you are. And... And no one could hardly communicate with this man. He couldn't even see the crowd. He couldn't respond to anybody's instructions on even how to get there. He's poor, pitiful, and lowly. But somebody carried him to Jesus. Somebody, doesn't say who, but it says they brought him to Jesus. I don't know who it was that brought him there. Some might speculate that it was the Pharisees to try to test him because they thought, man... If Let's put this guy to the test. This is a guy who is hopeless. There's nothing. He's demon-possessed. He can't speak. He can't uh, hear the, or see anything. He can't get away. And even if you talk to him, he can't communicate back to you. Sure, you can tell him all you want, but likely he is dumb in his senses. He, I think about that childhood. How are you going to respond? You wouldn't know communication or your alphabet. You wouldn't. In that day, there wasn't education or special ed classes he would have just been as in a vegetable state, right? Poor, pitiful, pathetic. Let's put this guy in front of Jesus and see what happens. That could have been. Or maybe there was one caring person who said, let's get that guy that we pass by every day. And so they brought him. Somebody brought him to Jesus. Someone cared enough to bring him. And the crowd noticed that the sad difficult state of the man, and they're looking at this man saying, what can be done? What can be done? What, what can this man do? And though he couldn't hear Jesus, he couldn't see Jesus, he couldn't praise Jesus, he was pitiful. I look at this man today and I think about a, a mute and blind generation. I think uh, about the, the state of the world that we live in today. So many people cannot see who Jesus is. We can hear. It's been on the radios for years. We've had Billy Graham crusades in America. We've had uh, all these great evangelists. We've had all these TV preachers. There is a church on every corner in the southern parts of the United States. The gospel has been proclaimed, but yet there is a generation that is existing in this country right now that cannot see him. They don't see him. 
They don't see him high and lifted up and exalted sitting at the right hand of the Father. The train of the robe fills the temple. They don't see him in awe. They don't see him as the crucified Messiah who loves. They see him as one who is judgmental. They see him as one who is condemning. They see him one who is a bigot, who is a fake, who is a hypocrite, who probably isn't even real. That's how they see him. They don't see him high. And because they can't see him, they can't praise him. Oh, they can hear things, and they can hear what we may say, but they haven't got the full concept of Jesus yet. Is, they've been blinded in their eyes to, by the devil from, from seeing the revelation of the gospel, and because of that, they can't speak anything. They can't pray to God. They can't speak the goodness of Him. They're, they have no ability. They can come into a church, and, and there's just nothing there. There's no worship in the house of God anymore because they're blind. Many church members in the same way, are cold in their hearts and and possessed and oppressed by things of the Spirit in this natural world because they cannot get an image of the holiness of God Almighty. And for that reason, we can't praise Him. Our worship is dead. The church is dry. They Oppressed. Oppressed. A mute and a blind generation. Shut off from God. I look at a generation today so shut off from even the previous generations. This man was shut off from every other world around him. I, I, I see generations. The devil's biggest trick right now is we are shut off from every single person around us. We are the most lonely, depressed, suicidal generation the world has ever seen, while we seemingly are the most connected. Tell me how that works. We seemingly are the most connected and socially networked generation, but yet we are the most depressed, lonely, unhappy, suicidal. The rate of cutting in our teenagers is skyrocketingly high. The suicide level for teenagers is at the highest level it's ever been. And yet we seem to think we're all connected. But this man, he could not see, he could not speak, and he was cut off. That's the generation I see in America today. And the question is, who can help this man? Who can make this man see? How can he sing praises to God? So you had a pitiful man, but then you had spiritual power. Look there at what happened. Who's going to deliver this guy? In that moment, Jesus, we don't understand how or doesn't go into details, but another another gospel says he expelled the demon and then he healed him. He healed the man's ears. Uh, He healed the man's mouth. He healed, uh, sorry, he healed the man's eyes, he healed the man's mouth. And it's interesting, and Matthew says, if you would look at the Greek there, it literally says that he served the cure. I like that. He healed him, but he served, he came as a servant, and he cured him. So what Satan had done was rob him of sight and rob him of speech. Jesus cast out the demon who had oppressed him for many years. And it wasn't just enough to cast out the demon, but he healed him. He healed the consequences of his bad behavior, the consequences of his decision. And I think that's what God wants to do in a generation today. It's not just going to be a a breaking away of those who would receive Christ and those who Christ could come in. There's not only just going to be an expulsion of evil, but there's going to be a healing, a restoration that's required. And so he heals the man, and, and it says he served the cure. How? In that moment, man, the religious people, they're thinking, 
How in the world? We couldn't hail that guy. There's nothing our church services could do. There's nothing our charity programs could do. All we could do maybe was to you know, give him a bath every now and then and, and put him up for this or throw some pennies at him. And, and that's all society could ever offer. Even the religion, all that church service and church going could offer this oppressed, mute, uh, was pitiful in nature. Jesus comes, he sets him free, and he heals him. How is that possible? Look at what he says in the following passage. Number one is this. says, I, he came and he bound the strong man. Jesus is saying, he says, you've got to have one stronger to bind the strong man. That's Satan. Luke eleven twenty two. Jesus comes. He's born of the Spirit. He is then baptized in the Holy Spirit. He is sent to be tested in the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He comes out victorious by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sends him into ministry. Every day he's going and praying to the Father through the groanings of the Holy Spirit. And he says that I have come to seek and to save the lost with the authority of my Father. He's coming to set the captives free. He says the Spirit of the Lord is, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do this to release the captives, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And it's all by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus comes, He says, I'm the strong man. Satan has been the strong man in this man's life for so many years, but I, being stronger, have come. I have come to bind up Satan, let him out, kick him out, and I've come to clean house. And that's what he's doing. He says he's come in the power of God's kingdom to break Satan's dominion, to walk out with spoils of victory, and to show that, man, Satan's empire, Satan's dominion is weaker than God. Somebody say amen. We're not in some kind of illusion here that we're on a losing team. That's what he wants you to believe. He wants you to think, who can save this man? Who can heal this generation? Who can deliver this generation? Who could bring revival to a state of a country like this? Who could reach these teenagers that are out there doing drugs and having sex and, and falling into all kinds of promiscuity? Who could get people off of meth and, and bring them into the house of God? Because our church programs can't do it. Our charity ministries can't do it. I don't care how much food we give to a drug addict. It's not going to get them off of drugs. We can give counseling and counseling and counseling. Now, sometimes that works, but the majority of times, there's got to be a spiritual breakthrough. He says, I have come to bind the strong man. Number one, it's trusting in Jesus and who he is, that he is more powerful than Satan. Number two is this. He goes on, he tells him, he says, guys, but if you clean this house and you get it clean, and that's you and me, we can come and we can clean up somebody who's got an addiction. We can come and clean up somebody who's got a perversion. We can come and clean up somebody who's got anger and hostility and animosity and division and, and all this corruption in their hearts. We can clean them. We can program them out. And we can put them in the altar and put them as a greeter and an usher and put them on the worship team. But he says, unless you fill that house with something, that evil spirit... It's going to go out in the desert. It's going to roam around for a while. It's going to come back and think, you know what? That house is still swept clean. Ain't nothing in it. Let me go get some of my buddies and seven of us. We're going to come back and we're going to make that guy worse off than before. And Jesus says, you've got to fill that house with something. What does Jesus come to do? He's coming to fill the church with what? The presence of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I believe happened in that moment. Well, the text doesn't say this, but... Jesus alludes to it. He says that I've, you gotta, I cast it out, but he's got to be filled with some. I think in that moment, man, the, the guy's eyes were open to who Jesus was. 
his mouth was open to who Jesus was, what do you think he began to do? I think he began to praise God. And the demon had left, and I believe in that moment, as he began to let loose of his eyes to see Jesus, because he, he heard his voice, and now his voice began to praise the one he saw. I believe the Holy Spirit began to fill that man. And he got saved, filled, overflowing. And, and we don't know, and heaven's only going to tell what that man did for Jesus. But he was filled in that moment with the Holy Spirit. I think, and he goes on, he says, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If we are going to reach this generation, I mean the ones that are alive, I mean people who are 60 years old, 70 years old, all the way down to 10 years old. If we're going to reach this generation for Jesus Christ, he says the only way it's going to happen is if the Spirit of God begins to break down walls. He says, how am I doing this? I am casting out demons by the Spirit, the power of God. It's not by our programs. It's not by our good pastors. It's not by our good worship teams. It's not by having church the way we like to have church and finding preferences like we have to have preferences. It is when the Holy Spirit shows up in a community, light casts out darkness, prison doors begin to open, the favor of God begins to get poured out, people begin to get set free and filled so they can see, hear, and speak to who Jesus is. Jesus, by the Spirit of God, gained the power over Satan. You know, he didn't have to do all the things. You know, Jesus didn't have to be baptized in water. Jesus did not have to have a dove descend upon him. He did not have to be tempted into the wilderness. You know, he didn't have to do any of that. He's already God. He didn't have to prove himself. You know why he did that? To show you and me how much we need the Holy Spirit. Satan's nothing to him. But he went through all that as a man to show you that I, he was born of a virgin by the Spirit. You need to be born again by the Holy Spirit. He was gone down to the river into baptism to repentance. He never sinned. But he's showing you and I, we've got to submit to God and let Him cleanse us of our sin. He came up out of the water. The Holy Spirit came upon Him. Same word in Acts chapter 2. He was baptized in that moment with anointing and power to do His ministry. He didn't set apart. He didn't start His ministry until the moment He had the Holy Spirit descend upon Him over him, like the anointing oil upon Aaron. It is the upon him power that set him apart for ministry. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then he began to do his ministry by the Holy Spirit. Even in John, he says, I don't do anything that I see my father do, that I don't see my father doing. That meaning that he had a spiritual awareness that he, in bodily form, relied on the presence of the Holy Spirit to do ministry. To see the kingdom of God established everywhere he went. As he went into darkness, he would come up on, I believe, a village. And I think in his spirit, he could sense this village is darkness. There's oppression here. There's religiosity here. There's fornication here. There's drugs and alcohol here. There's rebellion here. And there's hypocrisy at the highest levels. And every step he took, he was pushing back darkness with light by the power of the Holy Spirit. He did not come with a trailer, with a worship team, and a band, and a light show, and a PowerPoint presentation. He came with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we are going to win in this day. And what did he say was happening in that day? It wasn't just a pitiful man. He had the power of the Holy Spirit, but he came to a people who was divided. In that day, the people were critical. 
Before he ever did anything, they had already doubted it could be done. They doubted his motives and what he was doing. They accused him of being evil, crazy. Not to mention that Israel in its own self had come back out of exile from being a divided kingdom. These people were divided in class and socioeconomic means. They were divided in race. They were divided in creed and color. They were divided even in their uh, schools of ministry. I follow this guy, Gamiel. That's where Paul was. They had different Pharisees. They would follow different schools of belief and doctrine. We've got Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, Fourth Baptist, 27th Baptist. We've got all kinds of options for you to follow. If you just pick one and follow Jesus, that's the best way to follow. We've got our doctrine, their doctrine, somebody else's doctrine, doctrine we don't even know about. We can come as long as you get baptized, fill out a membership card, and pay your tithes, you're going to heaven. We have all kinds of ways that we can divide over and speculate over and say, well, I like worshiping church in a hymn-only church. I like worshiping church with light shows and lasers. I like worshiping God and, and this. And we can fight and squabble and all this stuff, and we could be just as divided, missing the whole point. They missed the power of God in their midst. And you know one of the things that I think the Pharisees were thinking? Well, now this guy's going to come to church with me. This guy who was on the street corner begging probably deserved it because he was doing drugs. He probably deserved it because he would just give that money and go to alcohol. He probably, and he don't smell good, and now he was on the lower class, and they're going to put him on the pew next to me, and I'm going to have to hear his story, and I'm going to have to take my time out of my life and go do blah, blah, blah. I mean, they, we, they just began to have all, come on, let's be real, real here. I know how we all are, and, and I am. Who is this guy, Jesus, to mess up what we've got going on in our little church? He's going to change church for us. He's going to mess up what I like about my church. Come on. He's going to mess up how we have service and how I like it. He's going to change things, and I don't like change. Right? They were missing the power of God because they were a people divided in their hearts. And you know what he says? He says, guys... Satan's kingdom's not divided. They're completely united in their mission. God's kingdom's not divided either. He's completely united in his mission. So the question is, whose kingdom are you in? Because if you're not on my side, and he even says it in Luke, he says, if you're not with me, guess what? You're against me. If you're not on my side for seeing the power of God cast out the power of the enemy, if you're not on my side for the hurting, the lost, and the broken, for seeing true revival and restoration come to a broken, weary people whom God has come to save, if you are more concerned about your way of doing church than poor, pitiful people like this guy who was oppressed and mute and blind to the things of God, if you care more about your seat and the way you do church then you do about that lost people, you better check which side of the fence you're on, sister. You better check which side of the fence you're on, brother. Because he says, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. I've come to establish my Father's kingdom. And the reality was, in this situation, you know who the real uh, mute and blind people were? The Pharisees, the religious, the divided people in their hearts. I think it's times like these that Jesus is calling us to examine our community and say, who's on Team Jesus? 
Are we with Him or are we against Him? Are we religious and critical of a move of God in an oppressed generation? Do we believe His power is available today for our teenagers, for our young people, for those that are still out there on the streets? Because we can't have victory by right doctrine. We can't have victory by doing church our own way. And we can't have victory if we're divided between denominational hang-ups or church preferences or what we want our church to do in the next coming weeks and months. It's saying, God, this is your kingdom. Holy Spirit, we need your power. This is not about us. It's all about him and his mission. And he's king. And we're the kingdom. Amen? Would you stand with me tonight? Team, would you come back? We need the Spirit of God.